Today's episode of a Lucid Life podcast is brought to you by nobody because I don't have any sponsors. But uh, if there's anybody out there who would like to sponsor the podcast, feel free to get in contact with me at a lucid life podcast at gmail.com. And today's episode is actually the first of what I hope will be the first of many um, that goes not just into not just lucid dreaming and astral projection and all that, but also just where else consciousness can go in life. So today's episode dabbles with addiction. Uh, it also goes into breath work. So my guest today is actually a good friend of mine, Jenny, who I met over a decade ago in the rooms of recovery. She has evolved her consciousness, obviously through working the 12 steps and uh, in recovery, but also with practicing breath work. And uh, it's a very interesting and very fascinating conversation that we have, um, and I hope you enjoy it. So, oh, and if you have any questions that you would like to ask me or any of my future guests on the podcast, you can feel free to email those questions at elucidlifepodcast at gmail.com. That being said, let's get into the episode with Jenny. Well, hello, little Jenny. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to have you. So welcome to my podcast. Obviously, you know that the podcast is called A Lucid Life. And primarily what it's about is like lucid dreaming and consciousness and, you know, all that sort of thing, astral projection. But my whole philosophy on consciousness is, as you know, the world, we kind of like to see things or a lot of people like to see things as being black and white you can only be one way or the other they don't really a lot of people don't really leave a lot of room for evolution and that's something that i think that a lot of people in recovery know a thing or two about is how you can be you can start off in this life as one way go through a certain amount of experiences and a certain amount of things that go on in your life and things that affect your consciousness and then change and grow and evolve and become a different version of yourself so while the basis of the podcast is has been formed on lucid dreaming and all that, what I really feel like it's about is consciousness and the places that consciousness can go, whether that's good, whether that's bad, and all the places in between. So I'm excited to have you on because you're actually the first guest that is going to be more addiction oriented. Because as you know, addiction takes your consciousness to a whole fucking assortment of places, you know? <laughs> so Good, bad, and different. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but before we get into that, uh, since we are, since this is a podcast that's, you know, its foundation is about lucid dreaming and dreams and astral projection and all that kind of stuff. Do you personally have any experience with like lucid dreaming or anything like that? I think that I haven't done a lot of research into lucid dreaming. Um, my closest comparison that I can come to with that is just through the breath work that I do. Okay. Um, so when I am breathing, which I've been, um, I'm now certified. I'm a certified breathwork practitioner, which is hey. not really doing much with it yet, but it's a good thing to have in my little toolbox. Um, I've only been doing it for, since February, been like practicing and breathing. And, um, and I noticed that through, but again, I don't know how comparable it is to lucid dreaming. You tell me. Um, I know that through the breath, it takes me to a different place um, with myself where I'm able to kind of just connect and just really um, get, get just kind of a different perspective on my life. Almost like you're kind of like going up and looking down on your life. You're just reaching that higher level of consciousness through the breath and it's taking you to a place to connect with your higher self where you can kind of just get a better perspective on your life, where you want to go, where you are, 
things that have happened in the past, how to kind of bring those up and get through them and work through them and just really process them from where I am now and who I am now. So that's been, that's the, but again, you tell me how comparable that is to lucid dreaming because I don't know a lot about it. Well, it's different, obviously, in the actual experience, like the actual experience that you'll have with lucid dreaming is, I mean, it's essentially when you're having a normal dream, you're running around going and experiencing all these weird types of scenarios. Like the one I just had last night, uh, non-lucid was I was in some sort of classroom. Uh, there was a lot of people that I knew. Some were from like high school, some were from Disney. And I was looking for my headphones. Like there was some sort of lesson that was going on and I had already finished what I needed to do. So I was looking for my headphones to be able to go because I wanted to go running. And uh, I bumped into this girl that also that I know is also a runner and she wanted to go with me. I was like, okay, cool. But I got to get my headphones first because I know that you're a better runner than I am. So you're going to leave me in the dust at some point and I want to have my headphones. I couldn't find my headphones and then there was like an earthquake. So in dreams, our consciousness or part of our consciousness, I should say, experiences a lot of things that there's like different categories. So some of them can be scenarios that you would never really find yourself in in waking life, like odd things. Like why am I hanging out with people from both high school and Disney at the same time in some classroom, you know, so like setting type of stuff, situations where you're talking to one person, like Sam talking to you in a dream. And then all of a sudden you become Brooke, you know? So for everyone that doesn't know you, your sister, um, you know, things like that, or just weird stuff will happen that won't happen in the physical world. But when you're lucid, what happens is your full consciousness. And the the biggest difference between lucid and non-lucid is when you're non-lucid, you witness these things happen, but there's no part of your consciousness that's going like, huh, that's kind of weird. Why is that happening? It doesn't question why this is happening or how could this happen, you know? Whereas when you're lucid, that part of you is there and fully intact and you're able to realize like, oh shit, the reason this is happening is because I'm lucid. I'm in a dream right now, whatever a dream is. So it's a more visual experience in that you're actually in whatever you're doing. Whereas what I'm guessing with your breath work is it's a lot of like, you're able to see these things and these things are experiencing, you're experiencing these things, but it's almost like you're seeing it from like here, like your mind's eye versus actually being in the thing physically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think where they where they can come, and I'm glad that you brought up breath work because I actually wanted to talk to you about that later. Um, I think some of the things that are similar about it is that you're in conscious contact with the higher aspects of yourself, right? So for example, like this is something that in previous episodes of the podcast I've talked about, and I don't know if you've listened or if you've heard me in my explanation of what I call left brain, right brain, or my ego self versus my real self. Um, The ego self, I think is much more in line with like what addiction is. And I think it's that voice in your head that tells you all the things that are wrong with you and tells you all the reasons you can't do something or self sabotages you or finds all the things that are wrong with the situation or yourself. Um, So for example, like say there was somebody that you were interested in, and you wanted to talk to them. It's that voice in your head that's like, no, you can't fucking talk to them. They won't like you. You're fucking, you're a piece of shit. You're this, you're that, you're that, like, you know. And then there's this other voice in your head that will be like, just go fucking talk to them, you know? So, like, there's this weird thing where there's multiple things inside of you that are having this back and forth conversation. But it's like, it's all part of you, right? Yep. I think the similarities with the breath work or meditation or whatever is that you're 
consciously observing this thing going on. Whereas when you're not doing those activities or you're not, you know, present, it's kind of just like you're on autopilot, you know? So that, that's where I would say that the similarities are with them. Is that something that you experience, like the kind of back and forth when you're in there and breathing and all that? Um, so when I'm breathing, yes. So I just, I, I breathed this morning and um, I would say like the first 30 minutes of my session today, which doesn't always happen, but the first 30 minutes of my session today was just so much resistance. I'm like, I don't want to be here. Right. I don't want fucking go here right now. You know, like there was so much resistance from my mind and I can literally, I mean, you can feel when your mind is like yes. trying to hold you back, yeah. you know, you can like, like sense like, it. Yeah, like you're not going there, like you're going to stay stuck where you are right now, right? Mm -hmm. And that's your ego, in my opinion, as well, is like when it just wants us to keep repeating the same patterns over and over again, not grow and evolve as human beings. Keep What it's comfortable with. Exactly. And it's always comfortable with, you know, the shit, I think. Yeah, in for some reason, I don't know why, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, okay, you're comfortable in this little pile of stuff, so we're going to keep you here, and then it will yeah. keep trying to just keep me stuck in that space my whole life. And so in my session this morning, there was a lot of that. And then finally, like I had, you know, emotions come up and just that release come out. And then once I'm able to allow those emotions to come up, then I can get to that kind of higher place um, where I'm able to see things more clearly or just even feel and release things more clearly, you know, um, on a different level. So, yeah. So how did you actually start with that? Because I know, like obviously the people that are listening or watching um they don't know our relationship but we met fucking over 10 years ago at this point uh both in recovery for uh, narcotics anonymous i remember i'll do a little backstory i remember it was the was it a saturday or sunday saturday morning saturday morning okay so there's this uh there's this meeting in newport off balboa uh every saturday morning it's on the beach very nice very serene very it was a very popular meeting and I believe I was still, I was still really early in recovery, but I think I was like probably in the first 90 days, I want to say. And I go there and this is like, there's just a whole massive group of people surrounded on the beach, just all fucking doing their thing on, on blankets and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like this one, I think I was still like in my skinhead sort of deal, even though I kind of look like it now, but it's for different reasons at this point. Um, but, uh, I remember seeing that and being there. And then there was this one group, this little group on the blanket that was like these three beautiful women. And obviously it was you, it was Brooke and it was Suze. And I just kind of fucking meandered over there. And I think I made you guys laugh or something like that, but we, we all clicked and we started becoming like a little thing after that. Um, so we've known each other for a long time, but back then there wasn't any breath work. There wasn't, it was all just straight meeting, all recovery, all that kind of foundation. So how did you actually go from that to working on the breath work and that sort of thing? Um, I mean, I think it's just like the different natural evolutions of humanity, right? Like, so do you want me to share some backstory of mine? Totally. We got time. Okay. Um, so, you know, um, I was obviously a member of Narcotics. I'm still a member of Narcotics Anonymous. Um, I, you know, I practice recovery. I've been clean for 16 years now. Um, and I think when I, my dog's coming to say hi, Isabella's coming. Um, I think when I got clean, it was mainly just, you know, uh, 
a sense of just changing the normal behaviors, right? The physical behaviors, what I do on a daily basis, removing, she has to pop in and say hi. That's great. No, I love it. Yeah. Um, removing, you know, the drugs, alcohol, any outside substance kind of from me so that I can learn how to function just as a normal member of society, right? Right. Who are you without you, it? Yeah, you learn how to live those those habits without the use of, you know, addiction, um, outside substances, whatever. And you hit another, you kind of like hit another wall, right? You hit another wall emotionally, spiritually, you know, everything. And then it's like, okay, what can I do now? And then that's kind of when you pick up you know, steps and growing and, you know, therapy, you know, there's just different kind of tools that you pick up to help you connect. I think the whole point of my being here on this planet in this lifetime is just learn how to connect here, right? So my heart, my mind, my spirit, like just, I just need to learn how to connect it all. Mm -hmm. And so when I first got clean, it was mainly just changing the way that I lived. Then after a few years, it was kind of changing my emotional responses. Um, and like, my mental thought process, um, just with different situations that would come up. And I think throughout my recovery, I got to the point where I realized, you know, and then I went to spirituality and I started working on kind of my higher self working with that through that, um, learning what I believe, you know, in how I can start connecting more. And then I think that this last piece that I've come around to over the last, you know, 10 months has been um, realizing that it's also all held in my body um, and that, you know, on a cellular level, my cells are remembering these things. My nervous system are remembering these things. My reactions are not simply mental, you know, emotional, spiritual. Like when you, when you're trying to work through something, it's not just going to be, okay, I'm not going to act that way physically anymore. Then it's like, okay, I need to change the thought behind it. And then it's like, okay, underneath that is the emotions. And then even underneath the emotions is your spirituality and underneath all of that is kind of what your body's been holding onto your whole life. Right. And so I like to say that like, I, you know, growing up, I've always had um, kind of a volcano living in me, just like, <laughs> volcano, right. Like, and I just, I yeah. get to a point where something happens and it triggers like down here and it just explodes. Right. Mm -hmm. And it comes up and I feel it in my heart and I feel it in my throat. And then it just comes out of my mouth. Like, <laughs> and it's never good. It's never a good thing. And, right. uh, you know, and so that's all a bodily response, right? That's my cellular response to whatever situation it is that comes my way. That's what my body remembers, how to react, how to protect myself, how to keep mm -hmm. myself safe in these situations. Um, you know, I have to just kind of explode to be safe. And so I had to kind of figure out a way to change that after the last, you know, 15 years of working on everything else. Then it's like, how do I change like what my body, how my body reacts and through breathing, it's kind of given me that ability to kind of just regulate my nervous system a lot better than I ever have. Um, and not perfect. Never claimed to be perfect. Well, shit, but, this interview's over. All yeah. Right. <laughs> but my responses, my physical responses, that exploding volcano that comes up has definitely just like not gone to like such a ginormous explosion, right? Like it's not like gonna do that anymore. It still bubbles still bubbles. Um, and you know, hopefully I'm never perfect until the day that I die. I don't want to be perfect till the day that I die. Cause I always want to have something to work towards. Right. 
but um, you know, it's definitely a, a better response. And so I had to, that's, and that's why, that's how I found breathwork. That's why I started practicing it so regularly because um, nothing else has changed me like on a physiological kind of cellular level. Like it, it feels more, the change is more palpable to you with this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. there's there's been a lot of studies about um, breath work and how most people like, and this is something, uh, you know, I haven't been doing it since the COVID ship, but uh, I train in jujitsu when I'm able to. Mm -hmm. And one of my former coaches, Matt, uh, shout out to Matt, Budo Matt, um, he was one of the first people that actually got me focused on breath work and not I'm not like obsessed with it obviously I'm nowhere near where you are but you're just one of the people that really made me realize that how common it is for us as humans to hold our breath yeah. like to just be going about our daily business and holding our breath and I guarantee I'm probably going to fucking shake some people up right now whoever is listening to this in the far distant future were you just holding your breath as you were listening to this? Were you driving your car, watching somebody merge into your lane, and all of a sudden, now I'm saying this, and you're like, holy shit, I was holding my breath for 10 seconds. I didn't even realize. Yeah, exactly. He, he was one of the first people that taught me about that, and I was just like, whoa, what the fuck? And then when I became more aware of, aware of that, I realized that by breathing more, um, you actually were able to kind of overcome a lot of the physical tensions that your body carries just by breathing. And when you breathe more, you're actually releasing like certain kinds of endorphins and you're just allowing more oxygen to flood through your entire body. And it, you feel the difference when you do it. So have you ever heard of, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wim Hof. Are you familiar with him? Which one is that? I don't know where he's from. Um, he's, I want he might be like Icelandic or something, but yeah. He's, yeah, you know him? Is he the guy that does the breathing in the really cold, cold water? Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I've so, heard of him. <laughs> yeah. So for anybody who's not familiar with him, he's this crazy fucking insane dude that basically yeah. is able to do these insane physical feats just by working and focusing on his breath entirely. So the example that we're given right now is that he swims in these Icelandic waters that's filled with ice and everything, and he does it for like hours on end and shit. He's able to do it just by focusing on his breath. And eventually he's able to kind of physically just take it because he's so used to it, but he's mentally in a different place. And that place is just focusing on his breath back and forth, back and forth. So while we're still on breath, one of the first times that I ever actually did any kind of breath work slash meditation was when I was on set for this, I was like this bowling movie. I don't remember what it was called, but it was with, uh, it was with the dude from Entourage. Um, the main guy, I was just like a fe uh, featured extra on that. But there was this one dude named Marco who I met on there who taught me about breath work. And so when you're doing background and when you're doing extra work, there's like a shitload of just free time where you are physically not doing anything. So you're just kind of like sitting around just doing whatever. And me and him got to talking and we started talking about like meditation and all that kind of stuff. And he got me to actually fucking sit down and, and you know me and how much energy I got. Like it takes a lot for me to want to be to be willing to sit down for any extended period of time but he got me to sit down and we just started meditating and he just starts like talking to me about like just follow your breath just close your eyes and follow your breath and we're there in this fucking <laughs> this fucking bowling alley me and this, this hippie looking dude like sitting against this wall in a bowling alley with all these other extras and people filming and shit and i'm just focusing on my breath and the longer that i do it the more i'm experiencing in my mind's eye and i'm seeing like images and like kind of kind of like lights and fucking just 
just weird shit the more that I'm more that I'm breathing. And as I've gotten more experience with dreaming and lucid dreaming and, you know, uh, this one technique called wake induced lucid dreaming, I'm more familiar with what it was is that it's called hypnagogic hallucinations. So it's essentially like when you're transitioning from being awake into the dream state, if you're consciously experiencing it, that's one of the stages that you'll experience before you actually go into a lucid dream. So my question to you with the breathing, with being how intense, uh, how intensely committed to it you are, is that something that you experience? Do you experience like kind of seeing images and that sort of thing while you're doing it also? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's fun. I think that it's kind of like a cheat for me, you know, <laughs> like um, it really is because it can, and, and people compare it, they compare it to psychedelics, they compare it to mm -hmm. microdosing, to yeah. medicine, you know, it's basically like a whole different, um, it takes you to the same place just by using your own breath. So yeah. it, it's a, it's allowed. Um, Tell yeah. <laughs> yeah. that to the people in the rooms gets you yeah it also gets you there you know and it gets <clears throat> you to this, to, just to that state where um yeah where you're like ooh. and I mean I've seen things felt things your whole body can get tingly you can get yep. like kind of tensed up if you're holding on to things a little bit too much um but yeah you go to uh I mean I can walk through like every I've had so many different experiences through it but just like healing experiences right that will come up so like I don't want to get like too serious, but like I had a hey, if you want to yeah. get serious, you totally can't yeah. like, this is, be as open <laughs> as you're willing to be. Yeah. This is like one of the, it was one of my first experiences with it. I had a miscarriage a, a while ago and, um, and through, you know, not on my mind, not thinking about it while long time ago, nothing that like was in the forefront of my mind. Right. And then I'm breathing and I'm going into it. And I literally felt like I, met that child's soul through that session Whoa. i was able to kind of like hold on to it and just love it and meet it and you know you know when you make a connection with somebody but it's in a different state i know this probably sounds crazy um but but it really was look very, who you're talking to healing. though so you know i know <laughs> it was really healing for me like in that moment to kind of feel like i had that connection with this child that I was caring for a very short period of time. Again, not super traumatic experience at all in my life, but it was something that I needed to do mm -hmm. because somewhere like within my body, I was still holding on to that, you know, onto that memory. And then in a session, you know, probably about six months later, I was able to mm -hmm. not really hold on to it so much anymore. It was more of like a release because that first session, it was like, oh, I meet you. You're my child. I love you. I feel you. I want to hold you and be with you, you know? And then it was like later on again, like six months later, okay, it's, you know, you were here for me for, you know, whatever the last six months, you know, to help guide me. And again, I know I sound crazy, but you know, now I'm ready to like, kind of let you go and come around whenever you want. And I'm not going to kind of cling on to that anymore. So yeah, it's, it's the, and those kinds, and it's, it, it really, I mean, it really does just take you to places that you don't even know you need to go, yep. you know, <laughs> like you can like be like the happiest person, wake up and you're like, oh, I'm just going to breathe. And I just want to relax and kind of get my body like reset. And then all of a sudden, like 10 minutes in, you're just bawling your eyes out. Like, where did this come from? <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Visuals, lights, all of that fun stuff. Like it's fun.
Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're right. You do sound like a fucking psychopath. And, right. <laughs> because of that. But uh, besides that fact, I totally get what you're talking about and I can agree with you. Um, that's some of the sort of same, like what you're talking about, about like, you know, not needing to hold on and just come around whenever. That's exactly like... You want to talk about crazy? I got Fidel's ashes in his glasses, like right next to me, and I keep right? them legitimately. I keep them there next to me when I'm at home. Um, but that was kind of like the same sort of deal that I had after he passed. Um, was I was obsessively trying to see him while lucid. Like that was, I was like obsessing about it. And a few of the experiences that I had where he came around. Um, one of them wasn't that positive in the sense that he didn't seem like he was enjoying it so much. Um, like I've talked about it on a previous episode, but I'll run it for you. Basically I was in like some kind of room and it looked like a sort of like kind of art studio. Like there was these, a lot of art things in front of me. There was like these hooks that were hanging up different kind of art supplies. And there was like this big high, like chest high table that I'm right next to and behind me is Fidel and I look and I see him and I call him over to me and he starts walking over to me and he looks <clears throat> he looks as if uh as if he was still alive and his condition had progressed so he didn't look good and I'm lucid in the moment and so I one of the things that you can do when you're in a lucid dream is you know I don't I don't know what people's perspective on the situation is when you're there. I've talked about it in detail with previous guests, but I'm somewhere in between thinking that it's either your higher self that you're communicating with or something even above that. But basically I became when I was lucid and I saw Fidel like that, I looked up and I just asked the dream quote unquote, um, does he look like this because I'm keep, I'm keeping him here. <clears throat> and the th the a voice responded back to me saying, yeah. So I woke up from that experience and I was like, you know what? At that point, I think it was probably like the fifth lucid time after he'd passed that I'd, I'd seen him. And I just came to a sort of realization um, that I didn't want to, because while he was here, I didn't want him to suffer at all. You know, like he'd already suffered the first eight years of his life before we found each other and I didn't want to be the reason why he had any sort of discomfort, even in the next stage of his existence. And so after that, I decided that I wasn't going to actively pursue him, that if he wanted to come and find me, he knew where to find me. He knew that I'd always want to see him. Um, but that I didn't want to be the thing that keeps him in whatever level of existence he was in when he, obviously has the freedom now to go wherever the fuck he wants to go. Um, and so because of that, you know, all the experiences that I've had with him since then have been like fucking beautiful and he looks great and fantastic and just so much more happy. So I understand how cathartic that can be and how sometimes like you're not really expecting these things to happen in the way that they happen, but that when they happen, it's, it's big of you to, um, realize that hey like you don't need to hold on to certain things like it's it's good to experience them but then just let them go and you know 
they're there for you when you need them, but don't obsess over it, you know? It'd be so beautiful if we could take that into day-to-day life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be. I mean, like, that's the thing about life is we don't know what the fuck happens next. So right. <laughs> um, when we're done with this level of, of existence, who the fuck says that that's not going to be the case? Um, yeah. I, I, dude, I had, uh, I had some, really re- some really interesting lucid dreams very recently that let me ask you what's your perspective on what life is like what do you what's what's your opinion on what do you think happens after you leave your body if anything i mean i think that we uh our bodies are like our physical manifestation in this moment and i think that um our souls are much more than that and i think that you know we choose if we want to come back down in the physical form into this world um, or maybe I want to be an alien my next lifetime. You know, I don't know. Maybe I want to live on Mars or <laughs> <laughs> on a star, you know, or come back as a dog. I mean, I think that my soul has its path and this physical body and this lifetime of mine is just a small portion of that path that my whole soul is on. Just a vessel. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to it might sound crazy to, to some people, but, um, when you have certain experiences in life, and when you experience some things that you just can't explain logically, it makes it hard for you to not believe that sort of mindset that you're describing. Uh, one of the most recent lucid dreams that I had, and I, I really don't like to call them dreams anymore. I, I just call them experiences because it's like I'm experiencing something. And whether or not you call that real doesn't really matter to me. It's all an experience and my consciousness is experiencing it. So to me, it's real. But in one of these lucid moments that I had recently, again, I was in, I'm always in like classrooms lately for some reason. I don't know why, but I was, in, <laughs> I was in this classroom and there was this being that was next to me. And I don't remember exactly what they looked like, but they were like humanoid. Like they looked like a person and everything. And they essentially told me that they've been with me my entire existence here. And that, and I asked them like, so what what do we do like when we're done here and he's like well you kind of have like the option like you can like if you want i've taken you like above i've taken you below i've taken you like all over the place it's really like where the fuck do you want to go he didn't say it like that like he said it much more elegantly than what i'm describing it as <laughs> but you know for my dumb human monkey brain like that's what i remember off the top of my head without having gone in my journal actually looked up the whole details of it but i think that it's something along those lines is that we get to choose essentially where do we want to go next? Um, there's part of me that feels like pfft, there's part of me that feels like that this reality that we're experiencing might not even be a real reality. Like it might be, you've heard like the simulation theory and all that type of thing. Um, I kind of look at it as like, it's a dream in and of itself. Um, and part of the reason why I feel that way, apart from a lot of the experiences that I've had that I can't really explain logically is that there's been two instances in my life where <laughs> for some reason I wake up in the middle of the night and I have, do you remember that song? Uh, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. So I've had two instances uh, in my life. And one of them was actually within the past like two weeks where I wake up in the middle of the night and that song is just going off in my head. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Life is but a dream. And like the first time I heard it, when I woke up in the middle of the night, I was like, holy shit, like your boat is your body. So you're rowing your boat, your body down the stream. The stream is life slash time, right? And then da 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 life is but a dream. And it's all just like this weird thing that you're experiencing in this moment. 
and what you decide to do with it is what your experience in life is going to be. I th- yeah, I, I always say this on the podcast that there's so much more going on than we can possibly explain, but I don't think that this is all there is, like for sure. And then if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and then I die, and you know, that's it. So I would rather, yeah. <laughs> you know? You know, like if, if, yeah, if that's the worst case scenario is that yeah. you die and nothing happens, like that's not so bad. That happens for most people every day, you know, like you, yeah. you go to sleep and you don't remember your dreams. Like, oh, yeah. so that was cool. That was a good dream slash breath work slash meditation type of stuff. Um, so you said you've been clean now for 16 years. Mm-hmm. So what was your drug of choice? Uh, was it really? Yes. Oh, I picked you as a heroin. Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> well, high five. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> were you uh were you a spinner or did you snort it or did you mainline? I mean I did everything that you could. Um, even putting it in a Gatorade bottle and drinking. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, yeah. I mean every way that you could possibly take it. Well, because I was with a a gentleman, I'm not going to call him a gentleman. I was with a guy, yeah. um, and he did not approve of my use. And so I had, and we were driving across the country. And so the only way that I could get drugs into my system during that time um, was to put it in my catering. Fuck, dude, that's not. That's, yeah, kind of like hope to die. You know, yeah. like um, don't take it away from me because if you do, I will lose my mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So that, that was your drug of choice, but where did, where did, uh, the journey start for you? Like for me, the journey really started in terms of like my, you know, I I said earlier that I think that ego and addiction play like, are like one of the same to me personally. And so for me, my journey with it really started, uh, it was the last day of high school in our freshman year. And we were, we're all at the beach at, it was fucking Matt Larson's like bonfire. So every year he did like this fucking bonfire thing. And that was the first time that I tried alcohol. No, that was the first time I tried vodka, but I'd actually tried alcohol earlier in the year. I tried wine, but that was like, I don't really count that. So, okay. I lied a little bit, but whatever. That was the first time I got shit faced was drinking that, the vodka on that beach. And then that same weekend was the first time I tried weed. And then uh, in high school, obviously after that, I was like, holy shit, this is like, so much fun. I like doing this. This is a different state of mind for me to be in and I like it. So it started there. And then in high school, there was a lot more weed, a lot more alcohol. Ecstasy became a big thing. I did coke a few times. And then for me, meth was after all of that, as with psychedelics also. So where did it start with you? So I kind of went the opposite. Um, so <laughs> I was um, 14 years old. My freshman year, um, never done anything, never smoked weed, never drank alcohol, never smoked a cigarette, you know, never done anything. And um, my sister told me about acid and, you know, so we- (laughs) Wait a minute. You guys started with acid first? Holy shit. I did. (laughs) You did, okay. And we, you know, took a tab. I mean, this was in like, what, 96? Little- I think it was 95, but go ahead. Yeah. I wasn't um, there, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and we went to Disneyland. Um, yeah. And we, uh, you know, just had a amazing time. Um, really was tons of fun. Sissy and I running around Disneyland, 14, 15 years old. On us. 
<laughs> cracking no. up literally just like running around and just like cracking up like we were in toontown and they had that little mickey mouse jail you know mm-hmm. in where the things are rubber yeah i mean and it's been like an ongoing joke where i was like shh sissy and she i'm like come here and she like came over to me and i'm like don't tell mom i'm in jail and <laughs> we both just started like cracking up and i mean yeah so that was my first experience and Honestly, after that one experience, I, um, I didn't, I never liked weed. I never liked alcohol. I I would drink on the weekends with my boyfriend at high school parties, whatever, but I would always find what wasn't like those two things, you know? So it was either acid, ecstasy, you know, I would go to raves. I would do Coke and meth. I mean, I started doing meth when I was 15 regularly. Do you have ADD or ADHD or did you? I've never been diagnosed. I don't know. Do you um, think? Probably. Okay. The reason that I ask is because uh, it was a somewhat similar experience in terms of the first time that I did meth, but I, like the feeling that I got was might have been different. You tell me. So the first time that I did it, um, <laughs> uh, at the point that I had done it, um, first, before I ever did meth, I did DMT. So are you familiar with DMT? Mm-hmm. It's called dimethyltryptamine. So like, like acid, it's a, it's a psychedelic, it's a hallucinogen, but it's apparently the most potent hallucinogen on the planet um, with maybe exception to salvia, which is a whole fucking other fucking thing what we can talk about if you want later. But um, essentially DMT is like this little crystal that kind of looks like meth, but it's like, there's different colors. The one that I did was orange and you smoke it out of a meth pipe. So I did it with these two guys that I went to high school with one that I've known since second grade. The other I knew in high school and we were doing it in this car over at, uh, what's it called? I think it's called spinny park. If you're familiar with that, it's in, it's somewhere in Huntington, but, um, we, we do it there and it's nighttime when we're doing it. And they're basically like making fun of me because I don't know how to do it properly. Like, I don't know how to spin the pipe correctly. As you know, there's like an etiquette and a a form to it. Uh, if you want to do it properly. So they're getting on me because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And them two have had experience with doing meth together. And so they go and start talking about like, Oh dude, you remember fucking in high school when you were, cause them two, they did it in high school. Also, it was like their senior year. They started getting into it. They're like, Oh dude, remember fucking coming down and just da 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 da. They started like reminiscing about these stories and the way that they, and this is, this has been my downfall for basically every substance that I've used is that it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to do something on my own. It was that somebody else that I knew or liked or thought was cool described something that they'd done and they made it sound appealing enough to where I was like, huh, I'm going to try that. And so most of the time people start talking about meth, crystal meth. It's like, what the fuck you did crystal meth, you know, like that's the normal fucking reaction. But the way that these two cats were fucking talking about it was like, whoa, I want to try meth now, you know? Like, they made it sound fun for some reason. So I was like, all right, if I ever do meth, it's got to be with you guys. So fast forward a few months, and the timeline might be a little off here. I don't remember if we did this first or if it happened afterwards, but my criminal enterprise started. Um. And in the midst of doing that, it might've been the very first night, honestly, 
when we came up and were from stealing. Uh, and we did meth. And the first time that I did it, we didn't smoke it that first time. We, we snorted it. But it felt like a piece of me that I'd been missing my whole life I'd found. Like that was the kind of sensation that I, that I, that I described. And before that, you know, I've, I, I do have ADD and I was diagnosed with it at a very early age. So I'd been on medication for it ever since I was in second grade. So before it was Ritalin and then it was Concerta. And then in fifth grade, it went on to the, the highest dosage of Adderall that was available. And I took that all the way up until 24 until I was like, I'm fucking done with this. I want to be off of it. I want to know me without it. And I'm happy that I did it. But at that time when I did math, I was like, holy shit, this is fucking what I've been missing. This is the thing. This is me. This is what I've been. Oh, man. And so from that point on, it was it was very much like I'd found me, you know, so it was that kind of a similar experience. Yeah, it was definitely a similar experience. It was like it got me to feel OK with who I was OK in my own body. I'm um, just not care so much, you know, kind of like shut my head up a little bit because my mind never stops you know it just goes and goes and goes and goes and takes every single scenario and runs it through every single possibility and you know it just that's just the way it works and so I was able to kind of shut that up which was a really good feeling for me right (laughs) okay so you did that at 15 you said so how quickly did it spiral from uh from doing it at 15 and just still being this girl in high school who occasionally drinks at parties with her boyfriend on the weekend, goes to Disneyland on acid with her sister to all of a sudden now you find yourself like, Holy shit, I'm at rock bottom and I need to find my way into recovery to change up everything that's been going on. Like what was the process from point A to point B? Um, I mean, I, I went, I, I hit rock bottom, like really quick. Thank Did God. you? Yeah. Okay. Very, very lucky. So 15 to 17 were, you know, I mean, I found it. I loved it. I never stopped doing it. It was a, a regular thing from the day that I found it. Right. And so, um, there was probably like a year there in high school where I was able to kind of keep it together and keep my image, you know, the way that I was prior to doing that. Squeaky clean. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. um and then uh you know but then when people found out I was like fine fuck it you know (laughs) like you you know I'm gonna like not sit here and you know try to I'm not gonna obviously be like yeah hey but um but yeah there was an experience I think it was my junior year um so it was like probably a year and a half later and you know how they write like those like shit lists when you're in high school right like the senior shit lists where they oh (laughs) what they do right everything about certain people so yeah. they they did that and I was the only junior on there um oh. I wasn't a senior and so I was a junior and and like it was like you know closet cokehead crack whore um you can't hide who you are bitch it was very it was very personal it was out to the whole school it was you know um and did then they, did they like did they like put that like somewhere where everybody could see it or was it like yeah yeah no multiple copies printed and you know spread out <laughs> i never i don't know if that actually happened in my time if i'm being honest yeah. okay yeah at least i didn't know about it 
I mean, it was really real, you know, and again, being the only junior and having to go back to that school after that, it's normally at the end of senior year. So everyone's like, you know, whatever, gone yeah. off to college, it's done. living their life, don't really care anymore. Um, but they decided to just, you know, put me on there. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, so after that happened, I was like, you know, I have no, no image to maintain anymore. No reason basically to... Uh, keep holding or even trying to hold it together after that point. So I made it through like half of my senior year and then I just quit going to school. Um, and, you know, and during that whole time too, you know, I come from a family of addicts. My mom had lost our house. We were living in a motel, um, oh. literally like a, a crack motel on beach Boulevard. And oh, no um, shit. yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, my mom used drugs regularly. Um, my dad was out of the picture since I was 10. And so there was like a lot of outside stuff going on, not just like I have a perfect life and I decided to use drugs and, you know, my right. image was ruined and so I keep doing this. Um, it was already it, fucked up and you're just like, yeah. there's no way of coping. Yeah. yeah. So there was, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I quit going to school and, you know, became a drug addict. <laughs> wow. and, and it lasted for probably two years. I started going to meetings when I was 19 um and just trying to do anything that i could to stop using drugs um finally got it when i was 21 so okay so when did you start to really realize within yourself that like oh fuck i'm really i'm really an addict like i became the thing that i said i never would this has gotten to the point where i feel like i've crossed that line in the sand this is the, I'm at the point now where I feel like I legitimately can't do this anymore. How did you get to that point? Like for me, it took several, you know, people talk about rock bottoms and how, um, you know, once you hit rock bottom, you know, and then there's some people that say like, there's always another rock bottom underneath your current rock bottom. You know, if you keep going, I had to have like several fucking I had to have like several rock bottoms before it finally like clicked and I had that moment of uh moment of clarity um to where, to where I really realized like oh I can't do this anymore like I need help so how did you get there um I had a son uh when I was yeah, 19 that, yeah that might do it <laughs> when I was 19 I had a baby um when I was 20 he was taken away um okay and this when I Johnny? yeah okay 21 his adoption was finalized so um so i had to go through i mean as a woman um having a child loving a child i mean you know my heart you know how much in love i am with my children yeah um and losing that was um you know, I'd been to jail a couple times. I was doing everything that you can possibly think of to get money to support my habits. Mm -hmm. um, I had been in abusive relationships. I had a horrible family. You know, I've had a very, um, one might say traumatic <laughs> first 20 years of my life. It wasn't the easiest life at all. Um, sure. But having, you know, having Johnny feeling that love within myself, um, seeing who I could be without them just for a short period of time, being able to hold that baby, love that baby, feel that baby, like have that connection, um, and then losing it because of drugs. Um, that was my, that was my final straw, I would say. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. I, I had kind of, all right, I'm glad that you clarified that because, you know, uh, I'd sort of misremembered the order of things, I guess. Now that you say that, I do remember you sharing about that in meetings in the past. Um, but the way that I'd initially remembered it is I, I thought I had remembered. So I'm guessing that your, your other two um, were the ones that you had with a guy that was also in recovery, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so you go into, you go into recovery, you lose your son, you start going into recovery, really taking the steps you need to better yourself. How long was it before your relationship with him became more solid and steady? Like, what was that process like? Um, that was, so I did not want to be one of those people that was constantly in and out of their kids' lives, right? Like, I didn't want to like, be like, like we went through mediation, we talked about what I wanted and I didn't want to ever um, not be a stable place for him to go to if he needed to. Mm-hmm. And so I asked his parents, you know, let me just get a year clean. And at the time, which, you know, was very naive thinking yeah. at the time, I thought like a year was gonna- Godly. Like, exactly. Yeah. And everything's gonna be amazing and I'm gonna be perfect and whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, so in so I, I asked his parents, um, to wait until I got a year to start bringing him, you know, back around and know him and know me. Um, and, you know, they came to a meeting. Um, it was actually a Thursday night meeting when I got my one year chip and Johnny was like two years old and um, I hadn't seen him for probably 10 months. Um, and so that really, really meant a lot to me. And then, um, you know, since then I've been able to just build a really, I mean, I think a beautiful, beautiful relationship with him. And, you know, he knows that I'm here for him always. And, you know, now it's just like, Hey mom, you know, (laughs) like, um, and I'm here for him. And if he needs anything, he calls me. And if he wants to come stay at my house, he comes and stays at my house. And if he wants to hang out with my boys, he hangs out with the boys, you know? And so it's, I mean, for having, um, for not having raised him, um, I think that our relationship really Really. I mean, and this is what I say, this isn't like, we're not just these physical bodies, like walking day to day, wake up, go to work nine to five, come home, you know, whatever. Like there's way too much evidence in my life now that I can look back on and see why I walked through everything that I've walked through. And you can't see it like when you're in it, you know, yeah. but 16 years later, looking back on it, you're like, oh, look at how beautifully it all turned out. You know, like there's yeah. some definitely divine intervention happening to create their own you know everything's like for a reason right and mm-hmm. when you're able to kind of get out of the way and allow that then i don't know it's really beautiful <laughs> yeah and that you know that's one of the things that also and i'm very glad obviously that your guys's relationship is as solid as it is um i know from my own personal experience, how much work and self-reflection and introspection and fucking suffering there is both in, in living the life as an active addict, but even more so I would say when you get clean and having to kind of face all the things that, that you've done or that have been done to you, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, When you're talking about it's, you know, the beauty in it, that's another reason that part of me feels like, that reality at least in certain situations can feel like kind of like its own dream or like a movie or like uh 
just a, a weird script in a way because it's like the journey that you went on. So like there's this thing called the hero's journey in screenwriting where if you're familiar with like Star Wars, The Matrix, what Luke Skywalker and what Neo go through in their journey from being like this fucking nobody who doesn't know shit about the universe to then being like the hero of the thing and like saving the day. The journey that they have to go on is like so beautifully written. And when you're like somebody like you that goes through this, these traumatic experiences from your upbringing to then living the life as an addict and then losing something that you love as dearly as your son and having that taken away from you. And then being strong enough and having the fortitude to be like, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to fucking take care of myself and do the right thing and putting in the footwork and getting everything back to then having the relationship that you have now. It's like this beautiful, almost like scripted hero's journey, you know? So to me when, and obviously I'm saying it's like a fucking movie because you, you fucking put in the effort and made it that way. But it's, it's beautiful in the sense that it's like whatever fucking thing, like you're talking about, like there's a purpose for everything. It's almost like, it's like, that's what they wanted you to go through so that you could get to the point where you're at right now. You know, like you had to suffer in those ways to be able to become the Jenny that you are now. And when I look back at my time in recovery, it's, it's very like for me it's been over 10 years since I used meth so it was August 20th 2010 Um, obviously you know that I'm no longer an active member in the in the group for differences of opinion on plant medicines and psychedelics and my perspective on what they can do for people Um, but my gratitude for the program is always going to be there and Anytime that I, and I still bump into people from time to time that know about my history with the program. They're like, Hey, I kind of feel like I have a problem and I don't know what to do. I'm like, you should go to a fucking meeting is what you should do. You know, <laughs> like, um, the kind of people that you meet there are second to none. In my opinion, I think the people in recovery are the most real human beings that I've met. Uh, they're the most understanding human beings that I've met. Um, they're the ugliest and most beautiful at the same time. It's, it's a really weird dichotomy of humans that you meet there. But I kind of feel like my journey with recovery was really what taught me about the ego, whatever the ego is. And you may not realize this because at the time I didn't realize this was that when I was getting clean and when I was first in the program and everything, I was a thousand percent, a thousand percent still my ego self. Oh, yeah. You know, and that might sound weird to some people because they're like, wait, what? But you're clean. You're not using anymore. You're not doing this. You're working the steps and everything. Yeah, I was doing all that and I was taking it seriously. But at the same time, there was like this little voice on my shoulder that was being like, yeah, I'm the shit now because I'm fucking clean. I know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm better than fucking blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And a 1,000% the reasons for doing this stuff apart from I didn't want to be in jail anymore and I wanted to be free were like selfish in in a sense and I was carrying myself in a very egocentric way and I knew that or I learned that I should say because some of the people that you know I was still friends with at the time that supported my supported my getting clean and wanted me to be clean but still wanted to hang around me whenever they would see me after I'd gotten clean they're like you're fucking so full of yourself now like what what is this about and everything And it wasn't really until I met Fidel that I really realized how much of my ego self had been running my life. It was like just this fucking otherworldly experience the very first time that I saw him, where it was like this fucking, you know, you were talking about like maybe 
when you die, what you want to do is come back as a dog, you know, your soul, that type of thing. The very first time that I saw Fidel, there was this recognition. Like I looked him in the eye and he looked me in the eye and I felt like I recognized him for some reason. And it was like this fucking just really overwhelming feeling. And I was like, this dog is really looking at me. Um, And I felt this pull to keep coming back to him. And at that time he was like, I mean, you know the story, but he was, uh, he was a guard dog. He was, you know, living on a lot, sleeping in a shed on concrete for eight years of his life. And I just felt this dramatic pull to come back to him. And it was really him that taught me how much, like you were talking about when you were holding your son, how much love you had to give and how much, you know, that sort of, that was the same fucking thing that I felt with him, with Fidel. He was the thing that taught me how much love I had to give, how big my heart actually was, how worthy I was of receiving certain things that I'd been like, you're talking about resistance. I was resisting allowing myself to feel certain things or to get certain things. And even after he's been gone, that's when I feel like that the real true evolution of myself has really like started to formulate and really like the snowball has really been going downhill because of, you know, (laughs) I want so bad to be the best version of myself because of what he showed me I could be, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, this life is interesting, man. There's a lot of things that are just like, you know, I don't fucking know, dude. It's weird. Yeah. All the lives I've lived. That's what Sissy and I say. The <laughs> strangest life I've, life I've ever lived. Yeah. And the different people, person I've been like in like a million different stages in this life. Yeah. yeah. It, it's weird when you go back and you like you, you see yourself as you are now and you're so familiar with who yourself now, but then you kind of remember, oh yeah, I was this person before. Like, that's so fucking weird. Like, how, how did I even justify or rationalize or you know yeah i mean i don't even recognize that person you know <laughs> like yeah. when i'm sitting here talking about some of the stuff i'm like who was that person because that's yeah. it's so strange yeah yeah broken people yeah all right jenny well i appreciate talking to you before i let you go there's one thing that i wanted to do and you're actually the first person on the podcast that i'll be asking this question to okay. um this is something that I call these ether thoughts. So are you familiar with what the ether is? No. The ether is essentially like you could call it the universe. So whenever you get like thoughts that are, that just seem like they're coming from outside of yourself, you ever had those? Yeah. Yeah. So on September 20th at, so 9:20 at 9:20 PM, this thing came to me from what I call the ether and I call it the three fruits. And I feel like I know what your answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask you it anyway. Okay. <laughs> so in front of you stands a tree that bears three hanging fruits. The first fruit hangs the lowest, making it the easiest to get along with the quickest to get. It will be sweet and taste good, but you will have to lower yourself to get it. The second fruit is at eye level with you. You will have to walk over to get it, which will take some effort, but it is the most in alignment with who, with the you that you are right now. It will taste good and is comfortable, but it is not the highest one. The third fruit hangs from the highest branch. It is out of reach from what you can see, and the current you cannot grasp it. It will take time, patience, effort, and possibly even suffering to taste. But it is the sweetest and best tasting of the three, but one you will have to grow in order to reach. Which do you choose? I mean, I feel like that's a given. (laughs) I think so too, yeah. The highest one, of course. I don't care how hard, how difficult, how much more shit I have to go through to get there. I always just strive to be the best version of me I could possibly be. Yeah, 
I figured you would, Handful but you, you'd be surprised how many people choose that low one or the medium one. Man. <laughs> yeah, I've had, you're the, the easy first one. Per- you're the one where I met right now. <laughs> you're the first person that I've asked on the podcast, but but when this came to me, I was like, whoa, this is fucking like a deep thing, kind of, you know, like this is a philosophical thing of who you are as a human. Yeah. So I asked a few people this and I got a couple of the, and I, I choose the same one, obviously. I choose the highest one because it mm-hmm. takes the best me to be able to get it. Um, but a few people that I asked were like, I want that comfortable one, man, or I'll take the low one. Cause it's like fucking all I have to do is bend down and grab it. Dude, I'm hungry. You know? Yeah. So it is what it is, but Interesting. Uh, yeah. So Jenny, I really appreciate talking to you, man. This was a lot of fun. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'd love to do this again with you sometime if you're willing. So anytime, just tell me. All right. right, will do. Have a good rest of the day. Okay. You too. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye.